Good morning, Browncroft. It's good to be with you again. I would ask that we would prepare ourselves by uh, turning to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to start there at uh, verse 5 and move through verse 11. As you're turning there, I do want to uh, welcome any uh, uh, guests and who are here. I uh, also want to thank Pastor Rob in his absence for your presence. Uh, we thank you for coming, and we just ask that the, the Holy Spirit would speak to you today. I also uh, want to make a little disclaimer. For those that know me, uh, you know that I like to get a little feedback, right? So it's all right if you say amen, okay? All right, First Peter chapter 5. Let me pray first. Our Father and God, we do thank you for your presence here today. Lord, we do ask that you would guide our thoughts and guide our hearts. Uh, Lord, let it be that your Holy Spirit fall down upon us right now, Lord. Let us hear your word and let us do what you have called for us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 5, says this. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Sticky pages. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Sanctified servants. Sanctified servants. In my professional role as a professor of human resource development, I teach students how to lead performance, change, and learning initiatives. I talk a lot about competencies, about skills, about abilities, and what things you need to do to be able to prepare people for jobs currently and in the future. I teach them about learning theories and different types of learning outcomes, like cognitive outcomes and psychomotor skills. But one of the more challenging lessons to teach is about attitude. Attitude one's way of thinking, one's point of view, one's mindset, their mental disposition. Attitude is the aspect of the person which is buried beneath their values, buried beneath their actions, and buried beneath their behaviors. And this is probably the aspect of the person that is most difficult to change through instruction. For example, if one's attitude towards diversity is negative, it is very difficult to change one's attitude no matter how many workshops you have or how many legal rules you need to apply. 
If one's attitude towards subjects like geometry or chemistry or science is defeated, at defeatist, and you think you're going to fail, you probably will. One's attitude is the most difficult aspect to change because it requires a heart change. It requires transformation on the inside. An attitude change requires a new and deep appreciation of why and how a topic, a subject, or a person is important. Up until now, the Apostle Peter has spent four chapters trying to advise us on how Christians should act. He tells us about the behaviors we should display. He tries to inspire a deep appreciation for why and how serving Christ should be important to us and why we should be messengers. According to Peter, we should be messengers because we have a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. This is where you insert the amen. <laughs> we should be messengers because we are chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. There we go. We have been set apart we have been sanctified for service. We have been chosen to serve, and we are God's ambassadors in this strange land. Sanctified, set apart, and chosen. We should be messengers because we are living for God, and we realize that one day we will have to give an account for what we've done for him on this earth. Peter also tells us how we should carry out our jobs as messengers. We should appreciate the necessity of being holy because he is holy. We should show respect to everyone, not because they are always right, because we know God is the one who is in control. And as messengers, we should appreciate, and this is hard to say, we should appreciate submission and suffering for the sake of Christ. But in this last chapter of Peter's letter, he nails down the attitudes that we should have as sanctified servants. Peter urges us to stay humble and stay ready. He tells us how and why we should. So my message to you is no different than his. If we want to understand the attitude, the mindset, the mental disposition that we should have as sanctified servants, as messengers, we should, number one, stay humble, and number two, stay ready. Now, I've wrapped a lot into these uh, two points, so let me unravel this for a second. Verse 5 through 7 says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As Peter refers to the roles in the church, and particularly to leadership in the church, he urges the younger leaders to submit to the older, more spiritually mature leaders in the church. 
As far as the younger leaders are concerned, the younger leader is to be subject to the more mature leader, to put aside their pride and their accomplishments and fall under the leadership of the more mature spiritual leader. Peter says, put on humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we humble ourselves under his authority, he will raise us up at just the right time in our lives. There are at least two times in my life where my life was substantially changed because I was trying to be humble. The first time was when I was asked to join the deacon board at the church that I grew up in. Uh, It's much like the elder board for our church today. And uh, when I was asked, I was about 28 years old. And uh, I think when I joined, I raised the age of the deacon board, the average age, to about 70 years old. (laughs) When I was, uh, I was in seminary working on my master's degree, but most of them didn't have any college degree at all. I was full of energy and ideas, but to me, they were slow. (laughs) Slow and deliberate and uh, methodical and and careful and slow. (laughs) But they were wise and experienced and godly. And I learned a lot about church management I learned a lot about church people, and I learned a lot about church politics. I also learned how much they loved one another, how much they loved the families that were in the church, and I also learned how to lovingly and respectfully debate the things that need to be done in church. This was important for a newly married person about to become a pastor. I needed this lesson, and they knew I needed it too. Now, I could have tried to impress them with my knowledge of the hypostatic union of Christ, but I believe that approach would not have allowed me to learn what I learned. I think another time that I benefited from being humble was when I started working for a minority-owned search firm in Chicago. I started as a research associate which basically meant a glorified telemarketer. No offense to the great telemarketers that are out there. Two of us started at the same time. My counterpart was brash and arrogant and came to work smelling like a Grateful Dead concert. (laughs) He lasted about two months. Now, my boss was not a spiritual giant, but he was a good man and he affectionately named me Junior. (laughs) He would occasionally call me Junior whenever he felt that there was a duty appropriate for my status, or wherever there was a lesson that needed to be learned. He said, Junior, uh, do you know why I did it this way? Junior, step into my office so I can show you how to do this report. Junior, how come your shoes aren't shined and your nails are untrimmed? Junior, I'm going to need you to come in and change the water bottle for the water cooler. (laughs) 
uh, yeah, that would be great. Needless to say, this annoyed me. But I started to realize that in his own legally suable way, <laughs> that he was trying to teach me about work. He was trying to teach me how to look presentable when clients came in. And I also learned that he wasn't strong enough to change the water bottle <laughs> and didn't want to look bad doing it. But I listened because he started giving me some perks. Sometimes he would offer me his season tickets to the Bulls game. And this was when Michael Jordan was playing, so I was all about that. <laughs> that Keith boy, that Keith. He would give me money to go buy lunch for me and the office. Now, of course, I had to order it and go pick it up, but it was free lunch nonetheless. Eventually, I got promoted, and I had the privilege of doing some of his work. He started letting me come on client calls and graciously let me drive us there in his new car. My point is this, that an attitude of humility will get us way farther than an arrogant attitude, especially when it comes to serving God. And God's lessons and blessings are way better than man's. Now, personally, I like a little junk talk, especially when it comes to athletics. I like a little braggadocio, you know? Back in the day when we were playing basketball, I might tell you a few things about what was about to happen to you. But when it comes to serving God, bragging on our own accomplishments makes us look small and ungrateful. Having a prideful and arrogant attitude makes us repulsive to God and to the people you think you are trying to serve. A sanctified servant realizes that everything they have is because God gave it to them. God does not appreciate a prideful braggart, a know-it-all, the way I might appreciate a junk-talking athlete. In fact, the Bible says that he opposes the proud. So what do we do? What do we do if humility is not your strongest attribute? To all my Hamilton fans, I think Aaron Burr's advice is best, to talk less and to smile more. I think that would be appropriate. I think we can also find a spiritual giant or someone who is more spiritually mature and ask them to be our mentor. Observe them, observe their behaviors, learn from them. And another thing that we could do is to ask God to make us humble. But you better be ready for that one. As we might put on an overcoat or a poncho, we must clothe ourselves in humility. Verse 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This speaks to the sovereignty and the authority and power that God has over everything that happens in our lives. This includes the things that bless us, the things that make us proper, prosperous, the things that encourage us, the things that motivate us. It also includes those things that challenge us. 
that test us, that frustrate us, and annoy us. As a humble, sanctified servant, we must trust in his power and his authority over everything that happens to us, the good stuff and the bad stuff. As sanctified servants, we must be confident in the perfection of his timing, the precision of his cuts, the pervasiveness of his decision-making, the persuasiveness of his words, the purity of his person, and the excellence of his plans. Even though we might be exasperated with the people around us, exhausted by how long things seem to take, your situation might be excruciatingly, extremely painful or extreme. But we must trust that at just the right time, at just the right time, he will lift us up. He will encourage us. He will give us a boost when we need a boost. In the black church, we say he may not come when we want him, but he's always, there we go. We must cast all of our anxieties on him because he's sovereign. He has the power and the authority and he cares for little old you and me. The original words used to describe this idea of anxiety means to throw something on something else or someone else. In other words, we would throw all despair, all discontent on to him. Our insecurities and inadequacies, we would throw on to him. In the church that I grew up in, we used to sing a song that was entitled, It's All on Jesus. In the chorus, it would say, It's all on Jesus, every wit on Jesus, all on Jesus, and I am free. Discouragement and disappointment is all on Jesus. Sadness and fear is all on Jesus. Betrayal and confusion is all on Jesus. Discrimination and prejudice is all on Jesus. Injustice and greed is all on Jesus. All of our own failings and foibles and fears is all on Jesus. Every wit on Jesus, every particle, every inch of this is all on Jesus. But how do we do this? How do we cast our cares upon him, especially in an age where we're told to be tough, to suck it up, to deal with it, to work it out yourself and to deal with your own stress. In an age where the first option seems to be a stress ball or some form of self-medication, how do we cast our anxieties on him? I submit to you that we must practice our problem passing. What do you mean? When we get back to our office after a rough meeting, when we get home from school after a bad day, 
When we're at the doctor's office and we've received some bad news, we must practice our problem passing. When we're standing in the emergency room, we must practice our problem passing. When we're in the unemployment line, practice our problem passing. We symbolically take our ball of anxiety and pass it to Jesus. Lord, the doctor wants me to come in for some tests. Pass it on to Jesus. Lord, uh, the boss wants to fire me. Pass it on to Jesus. Lord, I might have to file bankruptcy. Pass it on to Jesus. Lord, I got a habit that I can't break. Pass it on to Jesus. We must practice our problem passing. What does this mean? We pray to the Lord and we practice giving it over to him. Why would we stand there and dribble when there's a full court press on us? Why would we stand there when there's a trap zone to get the ball out of our hands? We must pass it on to Jesus. Eventually, we get good at it. Lord, my mother took my cell phone and I didn't even do anything wrong. <laughs> Lord, um, I broke up with my girlfriend. I gained 30 pounds. We must pass our problems on to Jesus. We must practice problem passing, and eventually we'll get good at it. Browncroft and friends, we must learn how to problem pass through prayer. Parents, we must teach our kids to pass it on to Jesus through prayer. Lord, I've spent 30 minutes on one preaching point. So my first point is to stay humble, to have an attitude of humility. God wants to continue to bless you. Don't be arrogant enough to think that you need to solve every problem on your own. My second point that it took me 30 minutes to get to <laughs> is to stay ready. Peter writes in verse 8 through 11, he says, be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you into his glory, eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter gives the imperative command to stay awake, or as we've been accustomed to saying these days, to stay woke. Why? Because we have an adversary. We know that as sanctified servants, we have an enemy. 
a predator who stalks around looking for a weakness, who waits for us to stray from our shepherd, who hopes that we will move away from our flock and move away from safety. We must be ready. We must be conscious. We must be sober. We must be alert. We must be woke. Not scared, not anxious, not fearful, not indifferent. My wife and I, well, mostly my wife, is teaching my daughter how to drive. <laughs> Where's my ball? <laughs> we remind her of what to do before she even turns the engine on. Put your seatbelt on, adjust your mirrors, Adjust the seat where you can best see. Cover the brake before you start the car. When you start the car, check on all three mirrors and turn your head around so you can see what's behind you before you put the car in gear. When you're on the street, anticipate what could happen. Look for potential accidents. Scan the streets for potholes and the sidewalk for pets and for little children who could run into the street. Constantly scan the front of you, the back of you, and the sides. Eliminate any distractions. No cell phones, no radio, no other riders aside from me, your mother, and your sister. As much as humanly possible, you must be ready. As much as humanly possible, we must be ready for the devil's schemes. From time to time, we must, when we put our feet, from the time we put our feet on the floor in the morning, we must put on humility and adjust our attitudes. Through our devotion and our prayer time, our quiet time with the Lord, we prepare ourselves for any encounter that we may have. Before you leave the house, check to make sure that your kids are okay, your wife is okay, your husband is okay, your mom and dad are okay. If they are not okay, take the time to pray for them, to encourage them, and to ask God for their blessings. Tell them that you love them and that God loves them too. When we're on the street or at school or at work, Scan for potential traps or potholes, someone's anger directed at you that you know you had nothing to do with, the missing assignment that you attempted to lie about, the test that you attempted to cheat on, the business deal that you are under pressure to close, or the report that you attempted to fudge the numbers on. Scan for anxious feelings and shortcuts people are trying to get you to be involved in. Eliminate ungodly distractions, the things that make you vulnerable to the devil's attack. Time away from God, unforgiveness, lustful thoughts. In other words, we don't let the devil ride or else he'll want to drive.
As messengers, as sanctified servants, we do have an adversary. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So we must stand ready. We must stand firm in our faith. As sanctified servants and messengers, we will face wickedness without and weaknesses within. We will sometimes suffer and sometimes struggle, but there are two facts that should keep us sanguine and sane. As sanctified servants, we have a fellowship through faith, and most importantly, we have a Savior. Browncroft and friends, we serve the greatest of sanctified servants, the most superior example of staying humble and staying ready. I am reminded that this week would be our traditional celebration of Palm Sunday, or what some would call the triumphant entry, the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the day they hailed him as king, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest heaven. He rode into town like royalty, riding on a colt, while the crowd threw, palm, threw down palm branches and their coats on the ground, paving the way for the king. I would submit to you that even though they did all of that, they did not fully understand and know what kind of king he was and what kind of kingdom he would rule. But today's sanctified saints know what kind of king he is. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Sanctified servants know that one day soon he will return and we will be shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest of heavens. We will know what kind of king he is and what he's come to do. But until then, we must pave the way for his triumphant entry. We must lift, lift up our voices and tell the world who he is and why we need a savior. We must lift his name high and sing his praises. Until he returns, we must throw down our pride, throw down our arrogance, throw down our selfishness and grumbling. We must throw off discouragement, discontent, anxiety, and fear. As he came into this world and left humble, we must be humble. As he was ready for what was to come, we must be ready for what is to come. Because at the right time, at the right time, he will be exalted and we will be too. May God bless you. Father, we thank you for your, your blessings. We thank you for being called into your service. We ask, God, that as your messengers, that you would allow our hearts and our minds to be in tune with yours. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you've spoken to us today, Lord, we just pray for encouragement and for motivation. Help us to be everything that you're calling for us to be as your servants, as your messengers, as your sanctified servants. This we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.